Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. This is your money. I'm Michelle Martin. Good morning. This is the show all about investing and making the best use of your money. Asia Pacific markets are trading higher on the back of a strong performance on Wall Street overnight. Joining me now as we break down all the market action, Ryan Huang, flanked by two ladies today, I hear. Morning, Michelle. How are you doing today? Doing good. And how was your first day with your new crew? Yeah, new show. It went pretty well. So, so far, so good. <laughs> All right, good to hear. Now, all week we've been tracking India's Adani Group, whose shares have suffered a 65 billion US dollar route over the past several trading sessions amid allegations of corporate misgovernance. Last week, Hindenburg Research triggered the sell off with the publication of a scathing report that called the Adani Group, quote, the largest con in corporate history. Now, Hindenburg's allegations came amid a high profile effort by the Gautam Adani himself, the man himself, to broaden his company's investor base and raise new two and a half billion US dollars in new funds. Two and a half billion US dollars may not be a lot to Gautam Adani, Asia's richest man, and he's worth significantly more than that. But it has not been easy. Yesterday, we reported that the offering appeared to be underwater. The purchase price for the new shares was higher than their market value, which meant that any buyer would instantly have a loss on their hands. As of yesterday, Adani had raised just a tiny fraction, about 3% of the fund sort. Well, the timing of the share offering has expired and there is a twist to this story. So did Adani pull it off, Ryan? Yeah, so it looks like he managed to do so. Some last-minute buying from some of his, his investors. And this is typical of how it plays out in India in terms of offerings. You usually see the buyers come in on the last day at the last minute. So Coming to the rescue were people like Life Insurance Corporation of India as well as a unit of Goldman Sachs Group plus Abu Dhabi's International Holdings. So all of them came in to buy up the $2.5 billion share sale and that is worth noting as well that they are existing shareholders not exactly what Adani was hoping for, which was to cast his net wider beyond them to get in new investors and also to some extent new retail investors. So the retail side was not really strong. So all in, they just bid over 10% of the shares available to them. So not a great show of confidence in the retail side, but at least on the um, existing investor side, it seems mm. to be a vote of confidence, but I guess they also had no choice, right? They would have to do something, otherwise their own existing investments would have been um, affected as well. Mm-hmm. As you note, retail investors largely stayed away from the new share offering. They only bid for about 10% of the shares offered to them. The Adani Group is India's largest port operator. It operates some of the country's biggest airports and has investments in coal, in gas, in renewable energy. One of the concerns that we discussed yesterday, Ryan, is that like many infrastructure companies, the Adani Group relies on debt to finance its projects and some analysts are concerned about its ability to service these loans. In fact, some observers worry that Adani could become the next China Evergrande. What is the latest on this front? Yeah, typically when you are borrowing money, money, you put up some collateral assets and with all the share prices of all his affiliate companies under pressure, that means the value of these assets to some extent is also lower. So that means... 
sometimes you get margin calls if you don't have enough being pledged. And this is where he had to put up even more money to cover the collateral needed for whatever he borrowed. So this involves a $1 billion loan. So after the sell-off, he had to cough up another $300 million worth of shares just to make up for the gap in assets needed. So that's uh, where we are right now. At least that helped to alleviate some of the pressure. Yeah. If we take a step back, over the past five years, shares of the Adani Group have skyrocketed 1,600%. Now that's some return. As Bloomberg puts it, all it took was one short seller report and three trading sessions for the Adani Group to become a deadweight instead of a major driver for India's expanding stock market. In fact, the rout in Adani shares has cost India its position as one of the world's top five Markets. So tell us more. Yeah, so this really weighed big time down on yeah. Indian markets. So eight companies linked to the Adani Group contributed to nearly half of the decline in the MSCI index since Wednesday. So it's a huge weight on the Indian growth story as well. It starts to raise corporate governance questions around everything to do with India. So now there's a big question mark. And to some extent, Indian equities have been overbought to some extent. So that's another reason to take profit off the table when you have so many uncertainties to navigate. So now India slides to sixth place behind the UK um, when it comes to market valuations at over $100 billion. So this is um, after what you talked about, that huge slump Mm. in recent days. One last question for you, Ryan, about Adani before I plan to move on. So what happens next? I mean, now that the Adani Group has successfully completed its fundraising exercise, is it likely that this is the last we're going to hear of their story? I imagine not because with Hindenburg, they have already said they are quite confident in what they are accusing Adani of and I think they are still saving some ammunition which we will see in the coming days and they also have a good track record in terms of um, what they've been doing when it comes to proving that the research is on point. So I believe there is still some twists and turns in this story so it is not going to be the end of um, the saga yet. I want to move to Wall Street now. He's Ryan Huang. I'm Michelle Martin, and this is Your Money. Let's move to Wall Street, where tech stocks have notched up their best January performance in more than 20 years. The Nasdaq rose 1.6% overnight on the last trading day of the month. It gained 11.5% for the month overall. Now, the last time tech stocks started off the year that well... The rock band Lifehouse was at the top of the charts with a song called Hanging By a Moment. Uh, Swapnil Mishra would know that one. And the year was 2001. That's how far back. If we take a look at a few other technical indicators, U.S. stocks hit something called the January Indicator Trifecta. Now, that really sounds good. It means that three key market indicators notched up gains for the month. So what exactly are these indicators, Ryan? And what might be the January Trifecta? What could that mean? for the rest of 2023? Yeah, the January indicator trifecta, as it alludes to, involves three parts, three seasonal indicators. One is the Santa Claus rally, self-explanatory. Then the first five days, early warning system, which pretty much places emphasis on how the first five days of the month play out. And then the January barometer, which is an overall look on how the month played out. So all three 
played out pretty well and is an indication that perhaps the rest of the year will also do well. So that is something we could be looking forward to, maybe a good 2023. After tech stocks, small caps were amongst the best performers on Wall Street in January. The Russell 2000 index rose by more than 10%. The Dow Jones Industrial Average and the S&P 500 notched up gains as well, but not as much. So if we take a look at some individual stocks, which counters were the best performers in January? Are you seeing any trends shape up, Brian? Yeah, let's take a view top down. And I'm looking at consumer discretionary, communication services, real estate, IT and materials among the top sectors. And then if we dive a bit deeper into where companies are right now in terms of the top 20, at the top of the table, we have the likes of Warner Brothers. That has seen an, a price change of around 56% in its share price, followed by... Tesla, which was one of the biggest losers in the closing months of the last year, it's up 40% so far. And if you look at Western Digital, it's up 39%, followed by Paramount, Carnival, NVIDIA. So if you take a step back, it does look like, to some extent, some tech names have managed to bounce up from their lows uh, after the negative news has been priced in to some extent, the layoffs, the consumer spending slump in the IT space. And if you look at what's also seemingly a trend, the entertainment services space, if you look at the likes of Warner Brothers, Caribbean, Carnival as well. So that plays into the revenge spending or revenge travel narrative as well. United Airlines is up 30%, for example. So that seems to be the um, trends to look up for in terms of uh, outperformers. All right. Now, on the U.S. economic front, U.S. wage growth slowed in the last quarter of the year. I was looking at the numbers. It rose 1%. Now, that is less than inflation. Not so great news for workers, but it could be encouraging to markets and the U.S. Federal Reserve, which meets tonight. How so? Yeah, so let's look at numbers a bit more closely. So, growing 1% wages and benefits. And this is slightly under the consensus forecast of 1.1%, also under the 1.2% increase in the prior quarter, which was July to September. So all in, if you look at it optimistically, it does show that perhaps inflation is cooling off. And this is what the Fed wants in order to slow down its pace of rate hikes. And this is perhaps something they will take into account and bring on board as they go into the FMC rate decision. And if they do believe in it enough, then maybe we will indeed see a smaller increment, widely expected now to be at 25 basis points, and then maybe commit to um, what to expect in the coming months and quarters in terms of um, perhaps a pivot to a rate cut in the later part of the year. A sense of corporate earnings, there's a lot to choose from today. Initially, I wanted to zoom in on a couple of companies, a famous F&B chain, an oil giant, and a tech manufacturer. I think we'll start there to see what they can tell us about the broader economy. So let's start with McDonald's, Golden Arches. It's facing a hard time because of rising prices. Tell us more. Yeah, McDonald's, one of my favorite go-to places. Um, it is, of course 
facing a lot of pressure, as with many FMB companies. And this is as expenses go up, cost of ingredients, wages, you know, the list goes on. And this is affecting its profitability. And this is seeing its margins at now 43.6%, coming in below the consensus forecast of 45.5%. And this is um, something that will be weighing on expectations of how they perform in the coming quarters because these pressures are not going to go away anytime soon. And this is also playing out in terms of how customers are behaving. So it says lower income customers are still going to McDonald's but ordering less than they usually do. So that's going to be something they have to adjust in terms of strategies, what they sell, how much they sell because they have managed to pass on rate hikes in the past few months. Then the question is how much more they can pass on these rate hikes um, with the cost pressures. Now, earlier this week, um, we talked about... Did we talk about AMD? No, I was going to talk with a chipmaker, I have to say, just yesterday. A book about chipmakers across the world. And I'm still sore that I haven't been able to do that. Uh, We will be... Uh, Reconvening Chip Wars is the name of that book. I really have it on my mind. It's a great book, Financial Times Book of the Year for 2022. And we'll bring it to you right here on Your Money with me, Michelle Martin, pretty soon. Uh, I want to focus on advanced micro devices, and that is the world's second largest maker of computer processors. Now, we've seen a collapse recently in demand for those PC chips. So how is this affecting AMD's earnings? Yeah, it is a bit of a mixed bag um, when you look at the earnings. So AMD gave a better than feared sales forecast. So we were already bracing for a slowdown, but the slowdown is not as bad. So this was helped by gains in the lucrative server market, helping to make up for a collapse in demand for PC chips. So it's forecasting revenue to come in at as much as $5.6 billion. That is pretty much in line with the consensus forecast of $5.56 billion. And this is also as low as $5 billion if you look at what AMD is potentially looking at. So there is this range that is given. So all in is not as bad as expected, but still a slowdown. And right now, if you look at the expectations, um, there is going to be some optimism that the server market could help to offset the slump in the consumer side of things. Let's bring the conversation back to Singapore now. And for this, we're going to do this game show style, Up or Down. You play along at home. Is it up or down for the industrial read ESR Logos? All right, ESR Logos is going to be an up for me. So DPU for the second half is up 7.5% to 1.54 cents. And that is off the back of higher revenue by 61%. All right, ESR logos revenue, yeah, jumped more than 60% in the second half of the year. So definitely an up in my book. And this means that unit holders are going to receive a 7% increase in distributions. The next, I want to look at a data center play, Keppel DC REIT. All right, another REIT and it's another up. So it's up Mm. 3.7% for its DPU to 10.214 cents. This is for its FY 2022 ended December. So it is uh, off the back of also higher revenue. So all in, I think you've got um, some optimistic expectations of how this will play out. And the REIT is citing mainly contributions from equitative 
acquisitions from Guangdong Data Centers 1 and 2 and the building shell of Guangdong DC 3, London DC and Eindhoven DC. So data centers are on the up. Keppel DC REITs London and China acquisitions certainly appear to be paying off the REITs revenue moving up as are its distributions per unit. So yeah, unit holders, I'm sure looking forward to that 4.8% bump in distributions. I haven't been to the airport in months. Air traffic at Changi Airport. Tell me, how's that shaping up, Ryan? Well, it has to be up because everyone wants to travel these days. So Changi mm-hmm. Airport saw... A lot of passengers going through, about 32.2 million passed through Changi Airport, which is nearly half of the passenger traffic in 2019. So this is, a, I think, a good sign that things are starting to head back to pre-pandemic times. Yeah, and maybe no surprises there. So Changi Airport, a recorded high in December, which means that air traffic has almost returned to pre-pandemic levels. Boeing 747, Ryan. Okay, Boeing, usually in the news for the wrong reasons. I am going with um, up for me. It's in the headlines because it has just retired the 747 in terms of delivering the last plane. So in a sense, it's saying goodbye to this really milestone um, airplane which was really uh, much loved and really paved the way for large aircraft uh, in his day. Yeah, up, up and away. In my book, Boeing has manufactured and delivered its very last 747. Demand for the four-engine icon has dried up. Airlines are looking at newer designs. All right, thanks very much, Ryan. Enjoy the rest of your hump day. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.